0: Hi, it's Matt Rubell, and we're here to talk about retails from the front line. And we have a very special guest with us here today. It is the founder of Lionesque Group, and she just popped in on me. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, she is actually the queen of pop-ups, Melissa Gonzalez, who started her own company after leaving Wall Street. I can't imagine why. You weren't excited on Wall Street, but you came over to a creative venue to do some very interesting things. And Melissa has created over 150 pop-up concepts and is a leader in those things that kind of appear in your neighborhood. And you go, wow, that wasn't here yesterday. And what does it mean? And what's it trying to tell me? So Melissa, welcome. We're glad to have you here in New York City today.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I know. You popped over from Hoboken, so it's not (laughs) that far. But one of the things that's interesting for me is 10 years ago, everybody was like, everything is going to go digital and store experiences are dead. Mm -hmm. Was that something that you had been hearing too? And what kind of drove you to say, let's try a pop-up?
1: I didn't approach it because I thought retail was dead. I definitely saw a need where brands at the time, 10 years ago, just need an opportunity for physical space. And you were starting to see some of those closures. 2009, it was a rough year for the economy, but the motivations to do it were a little bit different. A lot of those brands were never planning to sign long-term leases. It wasn't really a testing market. It was having an outlet to sell product. But what I knew when we worked with a lot of these brands, because I was working direct to founder, was how much they needed to tell their story in a physical space in a way that you couldn't online. And it was very different then because Shopify was just becoming a thing. And a lot of them didn't even have any commerce site in the way in which they did today. But I just felt that there was still a need to tell a story. I watched firsthand how excited customers would be to come in and meet the designer and the founder in person. And they were giddy about it. So
0: humanity actually matters. It still matters. So are there things that you can experience in a store that you can't experience digitally? I mean, do you have a name for them? And what is it that creates that different experience?
1: I mean, the the touch-feel gap is a big one. You can create inspiration or aspiration with imagery, and you can write beautiful copy. But you're still missing the tangible aspect of it, that touch feel aspect of it, truly immersing yourself in something. And there's just a big difference between living in a 2D and a 3D world. When we work with our clients, we're working really hard to translate the 2D world into 3D, but it's a 3D world that people can really be immersed in and be surrounded by. And it answers different things. Sometimes it's fit. Sometimes it's how does a fabric feel, but other times it's, yeah, it's having a human conversation again and going to an in-store event and being part of a community in some ways that you can't do online.
0: But I think when you started this, what was the opportunity that made you say, ooh, I'm going to go do a pop-up store?
1: Just a serendipitous chance. Like I had left Wall Street to pursue more creative endeavors, candidly thought maybe I would be a famous actress. And I was given an opportunity here in Midtown Manhattan with the Knowles family. They had storefronts, street level at the hotel, and they're a creative group. The father, is he makes sculptures, and they're big into the arts, and so... They already had a passion for that creative outlet as well and wanted to do something a little bit different with their space and said, we have a space. Instead of signing a long-term lease, maybe we could do something creative together. And so it was just this good partnership and I had a platform to test.
0: So kind of a future-minded real estate owner realized that getting long-term leases was becoming more and more challenging as there were more things that are going on digitally. And they said, let's try to do things that can kind of energize our space and speak to our consumer or the consumer that we want.
1: And I think in addition to that, they were forward thinking and understanding, they were forward thinking and understanding the ancillary benefits of having well, something well, interesting in your space beyond the rent check. Ah,
0: okay. So, how do people actually work with people who already have stores, or is it really the digitally native brands that come to you first to say, I want to start to close the touch feel gap?
1: We have a blend. I would say we have three main buckets. Digital natives are a huge one for us. Mostly they understand storytelling. They understand data. They weren't born in a physical environment. And so it's not their core competency, but they understand the value of hybrid customers. And so they do come to us usually not having done a store before. Sometimes they'll come to us because they tried to do it on their own and they realize how taxing it was on their bandwidth and mistakes they could have avoided and realize maybe it could have been done better. But a lot of the times they haven't done it at all before. So they come to us for that expertise, everything from site selection to what's the story going to be, design, operational strategy, technology integration. But we also do get some brands who have existing stores and they say, how can we rethink it? And what's newer and exciting for us is we're also seeing the real estate world come to us. And we're fulfilling a number of proposals of coming to their properties and saying, how do you think differently? How do you create environments that attract digital brands? What does a turnkey space look like and what are they going to value? And you deliver a white box space in the past. It meant there's white walls and and there was HVAC and electric, but the expectations now are higher than that.
0: So this really lowers the cost of somebody who's a digitally native business or even a, a retail business just to come out, tell a new story and get some customer feedback. Maybe kind of what you were talking about, which is bring in customers who will then shop online as well as shop in store and learn a little bit more. And you package that because now it sounds like, you know, you've got the real estate market in your pocket too.
1: We are growing that Rolodex, which is exciting. So yes, we get a lot of inbound from the real estate world, making us aware of what's available, making us aware that they want to think different.
0: So let's teach someone here for a second. So let's teach. So if a digitally native brand wants to go out and do something outside of what's the advice, how are you going to sit down and work with them? What are the things that you're going to ask them so that they have to think about in order to kind of create this really fantastic experience That's not just data comes to life in a store.
1: Right, yeah. So we always back into the goals. Yes, everybody wants to make sales, but we try to really say, what do you consider success? What are you trying to get out of this? Is there something new that you're introducing? Is it market research? Are you testing the viability of long-term? Are you testing a partnership? Are you trying to understand what resonates with price sensitivities? So we really sit with them and think through that. We try to isolate a solid through line of what the story of the store is going to be. We really work on understanding who their target customers are, some rough budget parameters, so we're working as realistically as possible. And then from there, we determine, okay, well, what's the right neighborhood based on that information? What is the right footprint? And then we start searching for space in tandem while we're really fleshing out the mood board and the key elements and the story of the space. and. What do we envision the customer journey to be?
0: What's the most interesting and best pop-up that you've brought to life?
1: Oh, we've been lucky to work on a number of them. A recent one that was really fun we did at the end of last year was for Amazon Prime Video. We reincarnated the Carnegie Deli, a 1950s version of it to highlight the launch of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two show. And that was really exciting to work on. One, it's always great when it's unexpected and like, why does Amazon Video need to do a pop-up? But it was very interesting to see the goal of it was to drive awareness to Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But by weaving in Carnegie Deli, which is so nostalgic here in New York City, it was actually more people that learned of Mrs. Maisel because they knew Carnegie Deli than the other way around. But it was also really fun. We worked very closely with a gentleman named Steve Mapp. He was kind of like the creative director of it. And he we worked so hard together to make sure everything was as authentic 1950s as possible.
0: But the real customer here, this was a Miss Maisel
1: TV show. TV yeah, yeah. launch.
0: Yeah. And so you brought the show. As opposed to being virtual reality, you made it real reality. Oh, it was real reality. You know? uh, and yeah. to get a good corned beef and pastrami in there. Uh,
1: we served 11,000 pastrami sandwich. Wow. I did
0: not get the invite. I know. I know. We're going to have to have them bring that in. It was so good. And Um,
1: the black and white cookies. And I love the pickles. Yeah. Yeah. But it was amazing. I'll tell you really quick about it was how people came dressed 1950s. Like people were so into stepping into like a set that they came dressed for it too. So they even added to like the creative content in that way as well. So
0: the idea of pop-ups doesn't actually have to be a retail store per se even though you were selling sandwiches, pickles and black and whites and I'm sure a cream soda in there too. But it doesn't have to be that. It's really just creating an environment where you can engage and have interaction. You and I were talking about reading And some ways that you've brought that to life too.
1: Yeah. Another one of my favorites is with Penguin Random House. We did a pop-up with them in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And what most people didn't realize was when borders went bankrupt, San Juan was their top two market in North America. So there was a big gap. Amazon Prime doesn't deliver to San Juan the way it does to New York City. and. Penguin Random House team saw an opportunity to give access and extend their distribution to the island. And so we worked with them and a local distribution partner to create a store environment that was immersive. It was on brand for like the culture there. And it also integrated technology in very purposeful ways, both interactive and social media, but also creating that endless aisle experience. And we were able to do a lot of A-B testing of what was driving traffic there? Was it young adult? Was it because the next Star Wars was coming out. But what was exciting was, I mean, the opening was such a to-do. The mayor was there. Hundreds of people showed up. They sold hundreds of books, and it spanned generations from teenagers to maybe 80-plus, but all just so excited to hold a physical book.
0: It was a deer moment, as we call them, a drop-everything-and-read moment. Right? It
1: was. And we surveyed that first weekend. My team and I stood outside, and we surveyed, and we offered people at Starbucks if they would speak to us. And... Across generations, 70% of the people still preferred a physical book.
0: Yeah. Well, you can actually, I mean, it's there is data that will show that those people who read and then actually physically write read from a book and then physically write will actually learn the topic better and more Mm -hmm. effectively than the transaction that happens from a digital world. So that comes back to your touch-feel gap because the touch-feel gap hits all of our senses Mm -hmm. in a different way. And so that sensory experience really does make a difference. And so What are the don'ts? you talked, uh, and we can get back to a couple of the do's, but what are the don'ts in creating an experience that people need to worry about and not do?
1: I mean, don't say I need an Instagrammable store or I need an Instagrammable wall. That's not what people want, right? They want a story. They want an experience. They want an aha moment, but it needs to be purposeful. It needs to kind of make sense with everything that's going on. Don't underestimate the importance of your staff. Your brand ambassadors. Don't skimp on how much time you spend training them. Don't think minimum wage is enough. And don't take a space just because it's free.
0: Right. Because that's not going to get you the right audience. But training the staff must be really a big deal. I mean, I know you've worked with brands like Estee Lauder. How do you train somebody to be a beauty expert in a very short period of time if the store has a limited life?
1: Sure. Yeah. So in certain categories, The brand will do a hybrid of tapping existing makeup artists or styles they have relationships with to kind of lead. And then we have a deep Rolodex of relationships with different sorts of staffing agencies that if it's a certain specialty, hair, makeup, et cetera, then we'll go to those agencies so that everybody there is a licensed professional. Same thing if we need food handlers. So we're pretty aware in that sense. And then we work closely with our client to make sure that there's time being spent talking about The story of the store, of the brand, deep product knowledge, but then really know how to operate and lead with customer service and make sure that they understand. We always encourage our clients that treat your store staffers like they're entrepreneurs for you.
0: And And do they blog from the store or, you know, do things from the store or do you just believe it should be a focus in the store on the consumer when they walk in so that the experience really is about that person on that stage at that moment?
1: I don't see necessarily blogging, but definitely use of Insta stories has become more and more popular and encouraging if a staffer, especially if they have a following, they want them to get online. They want them to say good morning from the store. They want them to send some teasers from an event that's happening live, encouraging people to come.
0: So the integration of life, whether you're a digital brand or not, this really just kind of holistically creates a place that's Real that people can come and experience what they're doing. So you've gone from wanting to be an actress to creating the stage for these things to come to life. And what is it? You know, you're an entrepreneur too yourself. And so you've been doing this business for a while. What are the key bits of advice that you'd give somebody as an entrepreneur in an emerging space to think about?
1: As an entrepreneur, when you're first starting out, I think it's so easy to be seduced by every opportunity. And I definitely did that. And you run in a lot of directions and you think because your calendar is booked up and you're busy, like, ah, this is successful. And then you have to remember to take stock of that and think, okay, well, what am I really trying to achieve? Hopefully you have an understanding as to why that's what you're trying to achieve. And then you start editing, and being strategic and making the right partnerships and spending your time more efficiently. And I think when you allow yourself to do that, then you once again open up that white space of opportunity. And when you're overbooked all the time, you don't give yourself that. And sometimes that's when the magic really happens.
0: And your business has really started to explode, especially in the last year. You brought in a new partner. Talk to us about the new partner you've brought in.
1: My life partner who has become a business partner. Yes. My husband, after 20 years of Wall Street, joined us. Nick, right. Nick. Yeah. It's been one thing as an entrepreneur and as a founder. It's often hard when you don't have a co-founder necessarily. And there's pros and cons, right? So having him join was kind of like filling that role I never had. Having, I still founded the company, but he's been with me the whole time. He's understood somewhat, not maybe every single client, but what the mission's been and how we've been growing and what my pain points have been. And at some point you can only wear so many hats and that gets in the way of your business because I wasn't doing enough revenue generating because I was also doing all the contracts and all the accounts payable and <laughs> payroll and like literally every hat on the sea level right? And so now I'm more doing the marketing role and the thought leadership role. And I still am involved with projects and checking in with them, but he's helping build out the strategic partnerships. So and- you've got
0: marketing, consumer facing, and operations and finance kind of separated.
1: Exactly. And so you
0: sit there Saturday on the couch and you email each other?
1: We try not to put that rule in place do not email me on Saturday. We at least need one day that's totally immersed in our daughter and our dog and making space for a personal life is still really important. But there's times there was things that loaded on our plate yesterday and we had to keep talking about work till midnight. And sometimes it's going to happen. And there's advantages to that because it's so seamless to have that conversation. But yeah, you have to create the boundaries too.
0: Right. It's not like getting the 2 a.m. email from your boss or your partner. Instead, you get the 2 a.m. rollover. Yeah, um, exactly. So coming back to pop-ups themselves, is it your opinion that all digital brands at a point in time need to try a pop-up? And if so, why?
1: I think all digital brands at a point in time may need an opportunity to tell their story in a physical space. And I I believe that because we work across industries. We've done pop-ups for cheese companies. We've done pop-ups for something like Amazon Video. We've done it for luggage. We've done it for mattresses. We've done it for dog food. We've done it for apparel. So I do think there's always an opportunity to connect with your customers in a physical way. And so I do think pop-ups serve that purpose. Do I think they all need to open 100 physical stores? Not necessarily, but I do think it's advantageous for all of them to have that opportunity to interact with their customers in a physical way for both sides. It gives an opportunity for the brand to learn about their customers in a way that they can't online and vice versa for the customer to learn about them.
0: So Melissa, in creating these pop-ups for stores or for these different brands, How many of them have actually turned into multi-store chains? I mean, have some of these things said, oh my God, this really worked, and now we're going to sign really... Longer term leases, sure, um, and and start to roll out stores. Does that happen?
1: Yes. Yeah, so over the past couple of years, I would say around 2016, you really started to see that happening, and testing the viability of pop up became one of the goals. So some examples of our clients that have done that: the Real Real, we did New York, San Fran, and Las Vegas pop ups with them, and their New York store happened. Their permanent store after the success of their New York pop up, and now they've since gone on to open. More physical stores. Madison Reed. We did their first pop up and their first permanent. They just recently closed another fifty million in funding, and it's ex- a part of the reason is to extend their brick and mortar footprint. And they plan to have at least twenty five locations over the next couple of years. So it does happen for sure, and I think that's why we try to have that conversation from day one. That's great. You have a brief. You want to do a pop up, but let's really think about what you consider success and. Sometimes they come to us knowing I'm testing long-term and sometimes they don't. That isn't one of their goals. But if we understand what success looks like, then we can position for it and that can become an outcome.
0: So pop-ups are popping up all over. We're talking with Melissa Gonzalez. And Melissa, before we move on, I want to ask you a question, which is, when on Google I found out all these great things, did see stuff that looked like you wanted to be an actress, but <laughs> also you know, you had your Wall Street background. What would we not find on Google, that would be interesting about you.
1: Yeah, I think people agree I'm creative, but I don't think they think I'm like daredevil. I think they think I'm kind of conservative. So people are often surprised when I tell them I have a motorcycle license and I sometimes skydive with my dad. I used to snowboard and scuba dive pre my daughter, I'm a little safer now. But yeah, when I sold my Vespa, that was probably one of the happiest days of my mom. She thought it was crazy. I drove it around New York City, but that's how I got around. And I am a bit of a thrill seeker.
0: A thrill seeker bringing new thrills and seeking new interesting ways of storytelling. And I think one of the interesting things about what you're building here is you've kind of got a turnkey way for people to tell their story. And that is, you know the real estate market, you know where it is, you're working with real estate people to create these white spaces, you know which consumers go by these different areas, you actually know how to work and train the staff, you then know how to visually bring to life the story, and then it's all happening together. So they don't actually have to staff up themselves, they can actually turn that over to you, and then you can bring it into the lion pop-up. So it's been great learning about pop-ups and great learning about our X Games champion here, <laughs> um, our thrill seeker, Melissa, who has done some amazing things. I'm Matt Rubel, and this is Retails from the Frontline.